Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning's scripture comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 2 through 13. Hear now God's word. From the day that the ark was lodged at kirith Jerem, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Astrites from among you. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So Israel put away the Baals and the Astrites, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord of you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. They fasted that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at Mitzvah. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. The Israelites said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, and pray that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty voice that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as beyond Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mitzvah and Jesenah, and named it Ebenezer. For he said, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange, and I welcome you. Thank you so much for being a part of this time of worship together today. Uh, one special word of appreciation that I want to offer is uh, each week when we worship, we have the opportunity to live stream and share the worship that we do here with others. Some of you might have been able to take advantage of that at times, and I give thanks today that we've got another one of our volunteers, David Bradley, here running the tech for us today in the absence of Tim and Ryan, and we're grateful for that. Sometimes technology works. Sometimes it it blinks. And so uh, hopefully uh, those that are joining us online, I am thankful that they are able to be a part of that and to receive that worship. You know, my father worships with us every Sunday morning, and I give thanks for that live stream technology, that ability for dad to be able to connect. Also, uh, one of Jennifer's aunts in Leesburg, Florida, worships with us every Sunday. And all that's just made possible 
because of being able to do share this live stream. So I am so thankful for the people that helped make that possible. I'm also especially grateful for Laura filling in on piano today and accompanying our hymns. So God is good and that you have a place in God's story. And if you're ever interested, look, this morning in a pinch, I filled in and running the slides as the words come up on the screen. I promise I didn't cause this to happen. But I, they taught me how to do it, and you push the space bar on the computer. If you can push a space bar, we've got a place for you. So think about the ways that you might be willing to offer yourself. One Sunday is a tremendous gift. So thank you for all those that step up and help out in that way. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, God of grace and God of mercy, we give thanks for this day. We come, whether gathered together in person or those that join us online. You're able to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us right where we are. We may be in points of brokenness. We, we may find ourselves in the pits. But you meet us right where we are. You pull us out. And today, may we feel that outpouring of the Holy Spirit that meets us right where we are. So, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth? May they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts and be transformed into the word of God that we need to hear today. As individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of God's people said, Amen. This week we are continuing this summer series called Stones of Remembrance. We're taking a look at different scripture passages where a rock or stone is referenced and trying to find connection points and ways that they might become real for us. And I'm reminded how just a couple of weeks ago or so I had a chance to, to share a, that story when Joshua led the people of Israel across the Jordan River, and the waters were parted once the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the water. And when they stepped into the water, they began to be parted, and they walked across on dry ground. But before they were done, Joshua asked for one representative from each tribe to go back into the dry riverbed and to pick up a stone. And when he says to pick up a stone, it says that they carried it out upon their shoulders. And you don't put a pebble up there on your shoulder. You, that gives you the impression this was a likely a, a large stone. And as they had these 12 stones, Joshua then set them up. He set them up as a memorial so that in time to come, their children would ask, what do these stones mean? And they would be told. They would be able to remember how God had delivered them. And it's been interesting because we, we shared pictures of those stone formations where people stack stones, kind of like what we have as the sermon image, and that's called a cairn. And we shared pictures from around the community. I was amazed. Both services, you identified exactly where those stone formations, those cairns were. In fact, I even took the one that I, we had used here in church and I set it out at the main entrance. And it's still there to this day. It, it's fallen over a couple of times, a little bit. But, but I still set it back up. It's there. I, I hope it might serve as a sign for somebody. Maybe somebody is looking. And, and I know it's found me really paying more attention to the stones around the world around us. I, I've begun to notice, really, 
the stones that people use in landscaping, those boulders. And in fact, people are using boulders as landscaping features. And, and, and in our community, there's a bunch of those. You might even have some boulders found in your yard. But I have a few pictures, if, if this is going to work. We're going to pull up a, a couple of pictures, see if you can identify. There's a stone. You see some mulch, some, some grass. There's another picture we're going to pull up next. And there's another one that's really nearby. Anybody have an idea where this might be? That's right, I see a few hands already pointing. Let's pull up the, that right outside this window, right here. Out, and we've got these massive boulders. Next one, we've got another boulder. You see a little bit of monkey grass growing up around it. Let's see where this one might be. Right back here, if you go out this door, it's back here behind, in front of the cemetery and you can see the ash garden there. Let's pull up the next picture. You're getting a sense these might be nearby. So there's a stone you can see. There's mulch. There's some bushes around it. I see a little bit of a cross at the top of the left. So wonder where that one might be. Hmm, let's see. Back in the back by the playground. All right, we got just a couple more. We've got a couple more that you might be familiar with. All right, there's one more stone. I see some mulch. Let's show the next picture where it is. There in the middle of the playground, we've got these boulders. And I have witnessed, personally, looking out the window of my office, I have seen children playing so many times upon those boulders. And so... As there are so many boulders around us, today I decided to try to do something a little bit bolder. Oh. You thought I was walking away. <laughs> oh. So I, I, I decided to be a little bit bolder today and bring, now technically a boulder is anything that is defined as larger than one foot in diameter, but commonly we understand a boulder to be something that might be larger uh, that, than one person would be able to move without assistance. And so I, I, I brought this to just be a physical reminder of a, a boulder for us today. I'm going to set it down. I know it'll be... <laughs> legs. So we've got this boulder here in place and you know when I brought that out and I could hear the groan I could hear the groan when I said a little boulder. You, you knew what I was doing. It, the puns are, it's amazing the way that I just can't get them out of my head. When I do them I know that you think that I'm probably losing my marble but I, I'm not. Sorry. It's like a punishment. It just does not stop. And when I do them, I promise, in, when I do them, I'm thinking to myself, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this, I'm thinking to myself, I do not understand my own actions. Anybody ever feel that way? I mean, when you do something like that, and you're like, I really, why am I doing this? I don't understand my own actions. And it really makes me think to, in the book of Romans, Paul has a bunch of very quotable verses. He has a bunch of verses that many people might even call their life verse. They have written upon their heart in many ways. Romans 3.23 is one of those verses. For, we, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, that's a good reminder that all of us are sinners in need of God's mercy. Romans 5.8 for God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that proves God's love toward us. Romans 8, 28, another one of those verses that people have committed to such memory. For we know that God works all things for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Man, those are some great verses. And there's another, 8, 38, and 9. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present. I can just hear Paul almost pounding on the pulpit if he was preaching it nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen? I love those verses. But there's one particular verse that for me personally, I find to be the most relatable verse probably in almost all of Scripture. Romans 7.15. Paul begins by writing this. I do not understand my own actions. Anybody ever feel that way? Say that with me. I do not understand my own actions. He goes on and adds, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Oh, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And then he adds another part, a couple of few verses later. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Can anybody relate to that? I, I know I do. I do the very things I don't want to do. I didn't intend, okay, yes, I did. But I don't want to keep going on and on and do the things that we don't want to do. The things that we know we shouldn't do. We find ourselves doing these things over and over again. And you'd think we would learn when we do those things that we should not do or don't do the things we ought to do. You would think we would learn, and yet we don't. I do not understand my own actions. Those words, those speak to me from Paul. It reminds me of a video that I had seen once before. Here in this video that we're going to pull up, we've got a, a scene where there is a sheep a lamb that is trapped oh, in this trench. And someone is there trying to pull him out. And I can narrate it. I can tell you what happens. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> in this particular video, there's this, this lamb that is stuck in this trench. And somebody pulls the lamb out of the trench. And the lamb gets on solid ground, shakes the dust off, takes off running, and jumps right back into the same trench that they were just pulled out of. I mean, I do not know why we do what we do. I do not understand our actions there. <laughs> yeah, Right back in the trench. That's, that's for me. That's human. That's a, that, that, that is a microcosm of humanity. That defines who we are. We do not understand our own actions. We do not do the things we ought to do, and we do the things we ought not to do. Recently, I was asked to summarize the Bible in just a couple of sentences. No big whoop, right? And I thought about it for a moment. I summarized it by saying this. The Bible is a book about relationships. Relationships between God and humanity, and relationships between humanity and one another. When I think about that, I don't really understand my own actions. I don't understand God's actions, but I really don't understand my actions. Because if it's really about my relationship with God, if I fully trusted God, why would I ever worry about anything? If I fully loved God, if he was truly, if I loved God with all my heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, if I truly loved God with everything, why would God not be the center of everything that I think or do. I don't understand my own actions. 
I certainly don't understand the actions of humanity and the ways that we treat and mistreat one another. And I can't help but just wonder if when Paul wrote these words, he was speaking very personally, but Paul was extremely well-versed in all of the stories and scriptures that we know of as the Old Testament. Paul, as a Pharisee, he knew that the stories of the Hebrew people was really a microcosm of, I do not understand my own actions. And I think of this passage today. Now, when we get, before we get to this passage, we need to set up a little bit of context. I'm not going to review all of the Old Testament leading up to this, but it is important for us to think about that throughout the first five books of the Bible and the first few books after that, we are beginning to see a pattern that emerges. A pattern where people continue to fall away from God. Some would call this the cycle of Judges because we see it played out repeatedly in the book of Judges. It starts off with the people are obedient and they serve the Lord God. Some of you remember this, because I'm sure, because I preached about this a while back. So I'm sure you remember this, right? No, never mind. All right, so start off obedient and observant to God. But they fall into idolatry and sin. Once they fall into sin and idolatry, they are overwhelmed and overcome. They are defeated. But then they cry out. They cry out to God. And God raises up a judge in the book of Judges, or another word for that would be a deliverer, who then delivers them. And they are obedient. They are subservient to God. That pattern follows over and over again throughout the book of Judges, so much so it becomes easy to see and understand. Obedient, idolatry and sin, overcome and defeated, crying out to God, a deliverer is raised up who brings deliverance and obedience. This cycle, it's amazing to see how this cycle is played out over and over again. And when we get to this passage of Scripture today in 1 Samuel, to understand where they are in the midst of this cycle, I want to just point out that back a little bit earlier in 1 Samuel, the people of Israel went into battle against the Philistines. And when they went into battle with the Philistines, they went thinking they were ready for battle, but they were quickly overcome and defeated. And so they come back. They come back, they retreat, and people are amazed. How did we lose? How did we lose? And finally, somebody said, oh, we lost because we didn't take the Ark of the Covenant with us. See, at this point in time, the Ark of the Covenant had become sort of a, a, an idol for them. It no longer just represented God's presence with them. To them, it became the thing of God's presence. It became an idol sort of a lucky charm. They became superstitious. So they said, that's why we lost. We didn't have our lucky rabbit foot with us. And so they go back, they get the the Ark of the Covenant, and they take it into battle with them. How do you think that worked out? Not too good. They're overwhelmed. They're defeated once again because they've made this idol out of the Ark. They are overcome, and the priests who were overseeing it, two priests are overcome and are killed. And the Ark of the Covenant is taken away. A messenger, someone retreats away, and he comes to Eli, the chief priest at the time, and he comes to him and he says, he brings the news, that the army has been overwhelmed and destroyed. Not only that, the two priests that died were his sons. Your sons have died. And not only that, 
they have taken the Ark of the Covenant. When Eli hears that they have taken the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, this is the most precious thing that belonged to the people of Israel because it reminded them that God is always with them. And now they no longer have the presence of God with them in that sense. He hears that news and he falls back, hits his head, breaks his neck, and dies immediately. This was big news. Now, I would love to spend a little bit of time about what happened while the Ark of the Covenant was in the possession of the Philistines. I don't have time today, so I would invite you to go back and read for yourself 1 Samuel, particularly chapters 5 and 6, and just see what happens to them. But at this point today in the Scripture, the Ark is being returned. And Samuel calls out to the people, If you will return to the Lord with all of your heart, put away the foreign gods and idols, and serve God alone, God will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. People hear Samuel call on them to put away your idols, put away all the false gods, return to God, repent, return to God. God will deliver you from the Philistines. And the people began doing it. Oh, they have longed for this. For the, the ark has been away for so long. They have felt this absence for so long. And they have known that they have been in the pit. They have fallen in the trench. And now God is ready to deliver them. And so they are ready. And God and Samuel calls them all together at Mizpah. And Samuel is beginning to pray over them and to offer the sacrifice. And as they are all gathered and people are repenting and returning to God, they are getting rid of those idols. As people are coming back, the Philistines learn that they are gathered together in one place. And the Philistines decide to take advantage of this moment. And so the Philistines make their way, beginning to prepare to attack. And the people are crying out, please don't stop praying out for us, Samuel. Please don't stop. And Samuel continues to pray. He offers the sacrifice. And the people go into battle against the Philistines. And as they go, God speaks with a mighty thunder. And the sound overcomes the, the Philistines. They're thrown into utter chaos and confusion. And the people of Israel win. And they, re, they are victorious in that. And to mark this moment, Samuel does something. He takes a stone, a boulder. He takes a large stone and he places it. And he says, this stone is an Ebenezer. The word Ebenezer literally means stone of help. And he says, this stone, every time you see it, you will be reminded thus far, the Lord has helped us. I think about those stones we see around in our community. Every time we see them, may we be reminded that thus far the Lord has helped us. May these stones become an Ebenezer, a time that we are reminded that we cried out and God helped us. Because the thing is, even though we may have found ourselves in a trench once before and God has pulled us out, guess what? We're going to fall in again. It's who we are. It's what we do. We may offer a prayer of confession. And sure enough, by the end of the day, we may need to pray it two or three more times. Because in our nature, we are those who are prone to wander. We are like sheep. We fall astray. We are reminded of that hymn. That hymn that speaks from so long ago. <laughs> Come thou fount of every blessing. 
Tune my heart to sing thy grace. When I think of that line that Robert Robinson wrote, tune my heart to sing thy grace. That tells us that sometimes our hearts get out of tune. I mean, if we were to take this beautiful piano and if we were to move it about to and fro and shake it and everything, guess what would happen when Laura sat down to play the next song? It'd be out of tune. We get out of tune with God. Our hearts fall in line with things of the world. Our hearts fall in line with the things that we have made as idols. Our hearts fall in line with being led astray. We're being reminded to get our hearts back in tune with God. I particularly like the second verse of this hymn because this is the one that speaks to us in particular for today. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. I think of that verse. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. We raise these Ebenezers because we know, as it says here, Jesus sought me when I was a stranger. I was wandering away from the fold of God, but he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. While I'm a sinner, he still proved his love through being willing to rescue me through his life. That last verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to leave the God I love. And yet God calls me back. Return. Put away everything else. Return. Raise an Ebenezer. For he is the one that pulls us out of the pits. And he will pull us out again. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you come to our rescue when we cry out to you. Lord, oftentimes our hearts find ourselves out of alignment with you. Our hearts are not in tune with your grace. But today, Lord... May we find ourselves, even knowing that we are those who are prone to wonder, may we find ourselves returning once again to you. 
May we commit ourselves even to those times that we don't understand our own actions. May our actions become those that are aligned with you. May our lives, may our hearts, may all of our being raise an Ebenezer giving witness that you are our stone of help. From thus, our help has come. Lord, we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. All of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.